Welcome back to the Spiritually Intimate Conversations podcast. I am your host, Blair Dreesen. And today we're going to have a special guest on the show talking about something that I really kind of get fully interested in only more so because of this, uh, the experiences that I've been with my own body and my own health, um, in terms of my pelvic health, which I've shared a lot about this on my personal page. So a lot of people know my own history. Um, so if you don't know, I'll give you just a little bit of backstory for, for me before I introduce my guest is that, um, I ended up having a hysterectomy in April, 2016, And then a little over a year later in June, 2017, I had 18 inches of my colon removed. And then October, 2017, I had a rectocele repair done. So that was a lot of things in a very short period of time on top of, I've had other um, issues digestively. I had my gallbladder removed when I was in my early twenties. I've had a lot of gut health issues and I'm currently right now detoxing and healing my body from breast implant illness. And I had my explant in July. I'm like, when was it? July of 2020. Um, and so I've been closely working with a natural path right now to better heal my body and support my gut health, but also really help my body still bounce back from all of these surgeries, surgeries that I had and my pelvic health, because, um, as we're going to talk about with our guest, a lot of the stuff that I was going through, I wasn't really getting a lot of the support that I needed from my physicians and my surgeons. And so I really feel that it has negatively impacted my healing process over the years. And so I'm kind of in this process right now of just kind of going back and really like healing more properly and making sure that I'm getting the support that my body needs from like, from a full body perspective, not just from like one isolated thing by one doctor kind of very, you know, narrowly looking at me through the, just their lens. Um, so, uh, I happen to come across, um, my guest, her name is Kim and her Instagram page is called the vagina coach, which I love. (laughs) And I actually, uh, came across her page because Kim had actually messaged me and she was in the process of putting together a really amazing, course, um, which I'm going to have her talk about with you guys. And she really wanted to get my experience, um, through all of the struggles that I've gone through with my pelvic health and wanted to kind of just kind of pick my brain a little bit, ask some questions to better kind of create what she was creating. So I automatically said yes, because so many of my listeners come to me, um, whether they've listened to the show or they follow me on my YouTube, cause I vlogged a lot of my experiences they would call, they'd message me and start asking me all sorts of questions. And I can give my own personal experience of things, but I always felt like I never always had the full like scope or I I would be like, I didn't have another person to refer out to, to be like, this is somebody who really, this is their expertise. This is where they really play. This is um, their knowledge. And this is what, how they like to support women. That's not how I choose to support women. It's just a part of my healing journey. So the minute I started talking to her and sharing with her and saw what she had coming, I was like, I need to have you on the show (laughs) and I need to talk to you more um, because I have so many women in my circle um, that this or this, these are the struggles they're going through or women that are currently right now not getting the full support that they need. And they don't really realize that there's other options for them available. So Kim, if you could just go ahead and just introduce yourself, kind of share a little bit more about who you are and like how you even got started down this path of being the vagina coach. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much, Blair. I really appreciate that. First of all, appreciate that you said yes to being a case study for me and, uh, and also for the invite to share. So, um, the vagina coach, it, it, it happened organically in a weird way. I remember being in sixth grade, seeing, uh, childbirth video as part of our sex ed class. And I made a pretty firm statement that I would never have kids. And I, (laughs) (laughs) I was preaching that for, for, you know, most of my, most of my, my sort of young and teenage years. And, uh, and then when I grew up and got married and decided I did want to start a family, I was really determined to have a different story than my mom. So Mm -hmm. me being curious about 
that video, I, I remember asking my mom questions and my mom was an OR nurse. She was very open with information with my brother and I, she told us the facts as embarrassing as it was at the time. I'm, I'm grateful for it now. And so I asked her questions and she shared very openly about episiotomies and incontinence and chronic back pain and, you know, all these things. And so again, it was kind of the picture I had at a young age was that I wasn't interested in that. But then when I decided I wanted to start a family, I was determined to have a different story. And I, my midwives had recommended a biofeedback device to me. It's a, it, it looks like a blood pressure gauge attached to a little pump. And it's a balloon that's inserted into your vagina. It's called the EpiNo and EpiNo stands for no episiotomy. It's mm. manufactured in Germany. And I, I used one, I bought one, I used it. I had a great experience and I thought, oh my gosh, this, the entire world should know about this. And so I contacted the company and said, could I be a distributor in Canada, in BC? Um, so I'm on the West coast. There was a, the person I purchased from was actually in Ontario. So there was one other person selling it. And then that's how it started. And it wasn't supposed to be a business. It was just, I thought I'd make a little bit of extra money and help save a few vaginas. And, and, <laughs> and so I did that for a couple of years. And then I had a bit of, I started a website and in 2009, I was laid off from my job and I had a background in fitness. I had worked in as a personal trainer and instructor for a number of years and got out of it and went to the corporate world. And then when I was laid off, I looked at this product and said, well, let's turn this into a business now. And so I recertified my fitness and focused on pre-postnatal. And my intention was to, yes, to sell this product to people, but really the intention was to get the conversation of pelvic health started in pregnancy, recognizing that pregnancy and birth are such huge contributors to pelvic floor challenges for women. Mm -hmm. And if we could start that conversation earlier could we have more comfortable pregnancies? Could we optimize the birth experience? Could we improve postpartum recovery and screening for a lot of the challenges that women face? And so I, I did that for a couple of years. I then met two other women and we formed a second business called Bellies Inc. And our intention with that business was recognizing the link between the abdominal wall and the pelvic floor. And specifically diastasis recti, which sort of blew up over the internet over the last, you know, five or eight years. And, and we wanted to take, we, we took inspiration from cultures around the world that embrace a practice called mother roasting or mother warming as it's sometimes called. And it's a very, it's a collection of practices that really support and honor the need to recover and honor the birthing mom and a new parent. And, and that was so overlooked in North America. So we manufactured, we designed this product and had it manufactured and, uh, also started doing certification courses for other fitness professionals. And that's sort of, that was a number of years. I juggled both businesses, <clears throat> excuse me. And then what was happening was we were, we had all given birth. Our kids were aging. We were now moving into the perimenopause stage of life. And we also had more people in our circles coming to us who, you know, had maybe given birth 10 years ago, or maybe had never given birth, but were experiencing these challenges. And then, you know, the conversation of menopause. And so we recognized that pelvic health really was all life stages, not just pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the vagina coach piece came when I was speaking to a group of women at a conference. It was the, there's an organization it's now called revolution her, but at the time was called the mompreneur, um, Mompreneur Inc. I think it was in Canada. So the Mompreneur National Conference in Toronto, I'm speaking and my talk was how optimizing your pelvic health can make you a better mompreneur. And I get up on stage and up to that point, everybody had been some sort of a business coach. And so I get up and I joke that, you know, well, now you all have a vagina coach for your business. And, <laughs> and it came out as a joke, but it, it really was a bit of a light bulb moment and summarized part of my intention was to break this taboo and vagina is a word that nobody really likes to say. And we're always hush hushing it, or we're giving it code names. And I use lots of code names too. I, I use fun, fun terms. And, uh, but at, at the end of the day, it's a term, it's an anatomical term. We have to be comfortable with it. And I said, okay, I'm embracing this word. And coach was because I'm a fitness person and I do a lot of, you know, I'm not standing there with a whistle and a, you know, <laughs> clipboard counting your reps, but, <laughs> but it was, it was coach E. So I thought, okay, there's a go. That's how it, that's how it started. And, and belly zinc has since been sold. I still teach the courses, but the product side has been sold. It lives on in somebody else's hands. And my 
passion now remains to educate and provide programs to women through all life stages, uh, coaching if they prefer and sharing information with people like you. I love this so much. Um, I really, I really do because the, the one piece that sticks out to me is just this whole piece around, um, really wanting to better help support women in the beginning processes, right before they're even getting pregnant and better educating them from the get-go and how much could that help women if they were being better informed of their pelvic health from the very beginning. And this, this didn't become aware to me even until after my rectocil repair. So mind you, I had already had the hysterectomy. I had already had the colon surgery. I already had the rectocil repair. I had also had two births that ended in C-sections prior to those. Like that's a lot that my pelvic floor, my body had already gone through on top of I, with both pregnancies, I had gained lots of weight and lost a lot of weight. So that's, you know, in and of itself that shifts and changes things. So there's a lot of things that had happened to my physical body. And it wasn't until after my rectocil repair. And I, I really honestly can't even tell you how it came to be. It was, it was probably because I was on the social medias. And at that time I would really get myself into every single Facebook group of these specific topics to really support myself. Cause I didn't ever want to feel alone because I always felt so alone or especially when I started getting to like the colon stuff, not many people want to talk about poop <laughs> and they get real weird about it. Um, hence, I mean, I dealt with a lot of, um, poop issues for most mm -hmm. of my life. I had been dealing with constipation issues for as long as I had remembered horrible constipation through both my pregnancies and all my surgeries. And so these were things that were all hush hush and nobody wanted to talk about. And even I want to talk about it with my doctor. So I was in, it was probably in one of these groups that people were talking about, uh, pelvic floor PT. And I was like, why hasn't anybody ever recommended that makes so much sense. Every other surgery I know of people go and see a PT specialist. Like yeah. why wouldn't somebody send me for my pelvic floor after everything that I've been through? And so it was in that moment where I remember asking my colorectal surgeon for a referral. And he was like, no, <laughs> for one, he was like, we don't do that. And I was like, well, I mean, if you don't do that, that's fine. But this is something I'd really like. I really started advocating for myself. Like, can, can you just write the referral and let me go? And so he finally hesitantly, he finally did only because I think he wanted me to just leave him alone about it. Um, and so when I went, even the, my PT specialist was like, I'm shocked that he wrote you, um, a prescription for this because he never sends us or sends his patients to us. And I was like, yeah, that's only because I, you know, bombarded him and he finally sent me. And that's where I really like learned so much and different ways that they would support women and, and, and talking to me about how they do this sometimes in other countries that they have pelvic floor, um, specialists within the gynecologist's office. So they're working with women prior to even getting pregnant and all, and I was just like, this is so mind blowing to me. Like, why isn't this like normal standard practice here? Like, I know. It is mind blowing and it's mine. It, it, I want I, I would love even for this podcast episode to land back in the inbox of your doctor who, yeah. you know, and I, I want to go back to them and, and, and I, I encourage people now to have their doctors document when they refuse to refer out mm -hmm. document it, put it in my file that you're referring, refusing care. And usually that prompts them to then do it. But like why in, in, I cannot comprehend why they would not support that referral and why it is not standard of care and mandatory for every single person. Any, as you said, any, you have a, an ACL repair, you have a surgery for your shoulder, you, anything else, there is a very strict protocol, including, including physical therapy, uh, return to activity and exercise. That's usually months long. And we have birth where there's a, a very high likelihood of injury. Mm -hmm. And not only that, uh, all the other surgeries as you might recommend, as you have gone through that have influenced your pelvis, it is, it is shocking. It is alarming and shocking. And I think, I think it's irresponsible. I really, truly do. Um, yeah. Yeah. So good for you for advocating and going and 
And now, you know, you've experienced the benefits. Yeah. And I think that that's the biggest thing that I always try to remind people that I'm talking to is always advocating for yourself. And that's something I've had to really learn in this journey of always having to advocate for myself with these physicians when I could tell like something didn't feel right in my body. And I, I remember being in an ultrasound appointment for, cause I was continually having issues with my ovaries and my uterus. And I was always in their office having tons of issues. And they ended up, um, diagnosing me also with pelvic congestion syndrome, which was something I had like never even heard of. I didn't even know what that was. Um, and, uh, when I was dealing with that, I also was getting hemorrhagic cysts very heavily on my left ovary. And that was the side that, um, my pelvic congestion syndrome was the worst. And for, for those of you that don't know what that is, it's essentially like having varicose veins all around your uterus and all throughout your pelvis. And so they were just swelling and creating a ton of pain. And so then when I would get, um, an, uh, assist on my ovary on top of that, I was just, you know, excruciating pain landing in the ER all the time. Um, and I just remember being at a, an ultrasound appointment and them just kind of very much dismissing me and my pain level and just being like, well, you just need to go on birth control and everything will be perfect for you. And I have, I've tried birth control. I mean, for as long as I can remember, I finally had to stop because it kept making me very sick. I was getting really bad migraines. I could, there was one that they put me on. I couldn't even get out of bed because I couldn't even lift my head out of bed because it was so bad. Um, and so I finally just told him, I was like, "I, I can't keep doing that route. It doesn't obviously work with my body. And I was like, so there has to be another way that you can help me. And they were just kind of like, nope, that's the only way we can basically help you. Um, you just kind of have to suck it up every month and, and deal with it. And it finally obviously got to the point where I needed the hysterectomy because things were just getting so bad. Um, and then it just created just this, you know, just domino effect of so many other issues with my colon and all this stuff. So I really want to be able to help women before they get to that point that they, they start learning and and educating that and knowing that they can advocate for themselves or maybe find a different doctor or, you know, ask for the referral to somebody else. Um, which thing I guess kind of what would let me to ask you, like, what would you recommend somebody to be advocating for right now? Like if they were kind of like in my shoes, like five years ago or after pregnancy and like, what would be the things that you typically tell people? Like you should be asking for these things as standard care for yourself. A thousand percent pelvic floor physical therapy. And that's always my number one thing. And that's, it depends on where you live in the world, whether you need a referral or not. Mm -hmm. There are some places where it's, you don't need a referral. There are some people who may have their insurance plans require a referral. There are, but there are lots of private pay clinics where you do not need. And I know that's not accessible to everybody. Some people yeah. need to, to go through their insurance, which is, is a, is a barrier to care, which I would love to see removed. But, um, there are at least, we know that there is an option for making uh, an appointment on our own, not needing a referral. And what I recommend to people while they're pregnant is put it on your baby registry. So people have baby showers all the time and they will register for a crib or a stroller or, you know, whatever, all sorts of different things on that list. I would put things like a doula or a pelvic floor, physical therapy session, multiple sessions. Uh, I would put things like food and, you know, things that really support the, the mom, the woman, the person it, it, it is, that's truly what we need. We do not need lots of little cute, as cute as the clothes are, we don't need them. We don't need very many of those things. Um, there are some staples and essentials, but those, those are higher cost items. And there will be some people who will be able to afford to pay if you aren't in a position to do so at the time. Mm -hmm. And that is an unbelievable gift. So a thousand percent, put it onto your baby registry. See one, if you can, while you're still pregnant, uh, at the very least, if you can't do that, then make an appointment for eight weeks postpartum mm -hmm. pre-book that appointment. Usually they have four to six week wait lists. So pre-book it while you're still pregnant. 
And uh, even if all you do is go one time, which would cost anywhere between 130 to 150 dollars, if you can, if that's all you can do, that's better than nothing. But at least you have, you come away with uh, an, an amount of information that you cannot believe you didn't know about your body after X number of years. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, yeah. And they can at least do some initial potential scar release if there's been any tearing or they can give you, um, like teach you how to do Kegel exercises properly. Cause they, that's something we really should bet. We, we benefit from having a Kegel practice and, and built into our workout routine. They can also assess the position of your organs and let you know, if you are um, dealing with an early stage prolapse, when we catch mm-hmm. prolapse at an early stage, we have opportunities to absolutely prevent it from getting worse, potentially even improving, or maybe even reversing it. So that's powerful information to have and be given the tools to take it now into your own hands. Um, I I highly recommend that you do that. I recommend also preparing for birth. So while you're still pregnant, connect with your pelvic floor. Uh, I've got lots of videos on my YouTube channel that are free. I have programs. There's lots of different programs online as well, where you learn what normal physiological birth is. You learn how to advocate for yourself. You learn about different birth positions that optimize, um, the, the second stage of labor pushing also help preserve pelvic floor like can't prevent tearing, but, um, reduce the likelihood or the severity of tearing. Um, and, and then also how to prepare for your recovery. So what will you, what will your home be like in those first, who will be your support team? What sort of food will you have prepared? You know, all that kind of stuff. So I highly recommend that you invest in, in whether it's through a physio or whether it's through a program or whether it's through looking for free resources on YouTube, understand the function of the pelvic floor, connect in with it, learn how to, uh, to care for it because it is the foundation of our core. It's incredibly important to our sex life, to our confidence, to our movement capacity. Like so many things are directly tied into our pelvic floor. And when it's not working optimally, it really messes with our mental health. It messes with our social, um, comfort level, it messes with our confidence and it, you know, it's very distracting to be dealing with leaking or to be dealing with a bulge in your vagina or what have you. So, um, highly, highly recommend that you take some time while you're pregnant to learn about that if you can. And if you are listening to this and you are already, you know, either days, weeks, months, years, postpartum, it is never too late. Again, if you can, um, if you have the means to see a pelvic floor now, a therapist now, do it. If not, put it on your birthday list, your Christmas wish list, something, um, and ask for somebody to, to purchase a session for you again, even if it's just one, that's better than none, none at all. Yeah. This is, I, I didn't even think to put it on a registry for, because we always think as moms, we go right into what do I need for the baby? And yeah. we never sit there and think about, but what do we need for ourselves yeah. for care? And then at most people think of those other things of like, Oh, I, you know, bring me food and stuff, which is all helpful and super supportive, but we're still not even really thinking about the physical body. I think the most that I thought about was like a massage would be nice, which granted, yes, great getting a massage or even chiropractic work and things like that are all super beneficial and all extra things you can do, but never would I have thought to ask for a pelvic floor PT appointment. Yeah. That's such great advice. Um, I had so many questions pop up. I literally wrote like a couple of things down. I was like, don't forget <laughs> that. Um, because there were so many things that you were saying that I was like, yes, yes, yes. Um, actually thinking about with a pelvic floor, uh, specialist, um, what I remember my PT suggesting to me was how they would love if people would even come in and see them even before getting pregnant, because then that's where they can really get like a baseline of where your pelvic floor is at. And then afterwards they can really kind of even better help support you or heading into pregnancy. If there's something they do see, or there is something they can better help through the pregnancy, be able to tell you like, these are the things you need to be mindful of. These are the things you should be looking out for. These are the exercises or the things to do to better help support you. Um, and I would, I would guess to say that this would probably be something even for women who struggle with fertility, because all of that stuff is so interlocked that we don't really realize 
how much our body, and I, I do have a background in massage therapy. So I did learn about this in school was how much our body really stores our physical trauma in our muscle and in our tissue. Yeah. And so being able to release that out, what that can do for the system and our organs is huge. Yeah. So yeah. what do you know, even about that in terms of like pre-care? Yeah, I couldn't into- agree more. And I actually think why not, why aren't we teaching this in mm-hmm. school when we are, when we are teaching our youth or kids about body health, about menstrual cycles, about sexual health education, wouldn't it be awesome if we talked about the pelvic floor and Mm -hmm. there's male and female, uh, we all have a pelvic floor, but highlight the fact that the female pelvic floor has superpowers. We go through menstrual cycles. We have the capacity to grow and birth babies in our body. We uh, will go through different hormone fluctuations through our life. We will go through a menopause. All of those things can influence the pelvic floor. And it's important to honor and cherish this part of the body through food, through movement, through pelvic floor exercise and pelvic floor physio. And it's, it's, you know, I, I usually say once you become sexually active, you can start seeing a physio. There are, there are people who do work with kids who struggle with chronic constipation or mm. um, chronic bedwetting. So there are therapists that do work with children, but if we planted that seed early, I think it would make such a tremendous difference. And there would be so much less suffering in so many different facets, uh, for, for people. And then getting, you know, as you say, then there's an established baseline throughout their life. And if they choose to become pregnant at some point and they become pregnant, then we now have an opportunity to, you know, we know what it was like before, and now we would know what is after. So using a mirror to look at what your anatomy looks like prior to birth is important. And then, you know, what's changed after, um, and, and presented in ways that is empowering, not doom and gloom. I think there's so much that is like, oh, you're going to have cramps and, oh, you're going to, and it, it, you know, and then you're going to go through menopause and then you're going to have hot flashes. It's like, nothing is exciting or nothing becoming a woman ever sounds fun. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And so men are always like, thank God I'm not a woman, you know? And, (laughs) And I, so if we present it in a way that is is how awesome it is and how cool it is, but how important it is that you pay attention. I I really think that it could be life-changing. The UK, actually, the NICE guidelines just came out making recommendations that pelvic health be taught in schools. And again, I hope this is something that gets adopted worldwide. Oh man, that would, that would be amazing. And I, I mean, along with that, I'm, I'm right there with you when it comes to like, cause for me, pelvic health and gut health are so interconnected for me right now and everything that I'm going through. And so I'm, you know, I'm the mom who's like, tell me what your poop looks like. Are you pooping? And like, cause we're always Same talking here. about poop. Right. And cause I, and I talk about this appearance and like, you only recognize how much you're asked about poop when you have a newborn. Cause they literally are asking yes. you all the time, right? How many wet diapers? What does the poop look like? And I was like, Jesus, they're at, like, I've never been asked about my poop when yeah. I went to the doctors like ever. And, and then even then it's only during that short period of time that they're asking you all about the poop. And then it's like, poop goes right out the window and we never hear about it ever again. And it's yeah. like, like urination, really- urination huh? and poop. So elimination really should be a vital sign. Yeah. Right. It should be something we're asked about in, you know, you know, do you have any problems with your bladder? How, how many times a day are you pooping? Where here you are, here's the Bristol stool chart, which number would you, and unfortunately the medical system, we, we, we are so fortunate to have them when we need pharmaceuticals and when we need surgery, they Mm -hmm. are the experts in that in terms of wellness and dealing with things like gut health or optimizing menstrual cycles or fertility. They, they, I don't believe are our best allies. We need them when we have a problem that we need to um, deal with drugs or surgery there. Uh, I think so many other people that would better serve us from a, a health management perspective before we even need, and ideally never yeah. have to need those things. Right. Yeah. More preventative yeah. health minded care yeah. and, and, and really looking at people as a whole versus like, yeah, what you're saying is by the time, like, and you're right. Like I, you know, I'm not knocking 
surgeons or the medical care. I just think that there's gaps that yeah. we're missing and there's, and unfortunately I think women's healthcare hugely is, yeah. is where all these gaps are really starting to become that much more apparent for a lot of women. And the more yeah. that I share my story, the more women I hear coming to me, sharing the same things over and over and over again of them just feeling like they're not listened to when they go to the doctor, nobody really seems to care about the problem until it gets to such a bad state that then they're intervening surgically or with medications. And then unfortunately, sometimes the medications are either they come with their own list of side effects and then they're becoming sick, you know, because of that, like what happened with me. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it becomes this, you know, clusterfuck, you know, essentially that, yep. yeah, this is a clusterfuck and it really breaks my heart. Um, when, when women are not getting the care that they need, especially what they, our bodies do. Yeah. And yeah. this gift, like what you're saying, it's such a gift of what we can do. Um, I do want to kind of like backtrack because there was a couple things that you said. Um, and one being uh prolapse. So for some people, they're like, what the hell is a prolapse? Mm -hmm. And for a lot of women, they don't even know what a prolapse is until they're already in the thick of it and it's gotten really bad. And then they're like, What is happening down there? Yeah. So can yeah. you kind of share a little bit like what is a prolapse and the types of prolapses and like what women should really be looking out for? Yeah. So pelvic organ prolapse, you, it's sometimes hyphen, not hyphenated, um, uh, acronymed as POP, pelvic organ prolapse. And it is when the bladder, the uterus and, or the rectum shift out of their optimal position, their op optimal anatomical position, and will bulge into or descend into the vagina. So in the case of the bladder, it can bulge into the front wall or the anterior wall of the vagina. And it can be called a bladder prolapse, an anterior wall prolapse, or a cystocele. So mm. it's confusing also because there's all so these different names. names that things, <laughs> and sometimes people might even say vaginal prolapse, and that's not really helpful either. The next would be the uterus. So if the uterus is descending from the top down into the vagina, that would be considered, uh, some people call it a womb prolapse or a uterine prolapse. Some people say my uterus is falling. Um, and then in the case of the rectum, the rectum can bulge into the posterior wall of the vagina, and that's called a rectocele or a posterior wall prolapse. It's not called a rectal prolapse. A rectal prolapse is where the rectum can come out the anus, and that can happen in both male and female anatomy. And, and that would be different than say like a hemorrhoid different than a That's hemorrhoid. Definitely not to be confused. Cause I want people to understand that like not to be confused with a hemorrhoid. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Hemorrhoids are enlarged veins basically. Um, and, uh, prolapse is actually the portion of the, a portion of the rectum is bulging out the anus. Okay. Um, and it's not life-threatening prolapse is not life-threatening. It's very life altering and it's quality of life threatening. It is the one thing of sort of the different forms of pelvic floor dysfunction that, you know, along with pelvic pain, chronic pelvic pain too, that are very mentally challenging to deal with. And early stage prolapse can often be asymptomatic or the, the symptoms may be something like low back pain, which is very common in people to sort of put up with. Right. And mm -hmm. if, again, if we were accustomed to once a year, seeing the pelvic floor physio, like we've been conditioned to see the dentist once a year for screening, we could catch these things and be in a position to potentially, again, you know, prevent them from getting worse, improve them by a stage, maybe potentially even reverse them. There are some prolapses that can happen, you know, in the moment with say a lot of people talk about it. Like I, I lifted something heavy and all of a sudden I felt this pop and I had it chances are they already had something that had started. And that was just some, the, the kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. Kind of um, like a hernia essentially, right. Where there was already yeah. a weakened spot. Yeah, exactly. Within the, the floor. Okay. Yes. And men can get hernia. So inguinal hernias are common. Umbilical hernias are common in men with who, who lift heavy, heavy weights. And that is sort of like a prolapse basically. Okay. It's just, they don't have a vagina for things to bulge into. Mm. And uh, so those are the different types of prolapse. 
bladder prolapse and uterine prolapse, I would say are the ones that are a little easier to manage with either the use of a pessary, which is kind of like an orthotic for your pelvic floor. So rather than supporting the arches in your feet, this is supporting the organs in your, in your um, pelvic floor mm-hmm. and your insides. Pessaries are helpful. Pelvic floor physio um, exercise. There's another technique called the hypopressive method, which is really powerful for uh, prolapse. Bladder and uterine respond mostly. Rectoceles, which you and I have both experienced, are mm-hmm. more challenging. They they are. Um, it's difficult to find a pessary that can help with rectoceles. Um, the, they don't respond as well to exercise to hypopressives, so they're. Uh, more about a management there's, unless you catch it at a very early stage, it's difficult to reverse those completely. And, um, but managing them comes down to the biggest thing is, is elimination bowels. Like you gotta, we have to get our, our elimination optimized. Otherwise that will either, it can contribute to it happening in the first place. It can exacerbate it. And if you have surgery for it, it can also be a reason why it would recur. So it's really important that we optimize our, our gut health and elimination to prevent constipation. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So those are the big things with, with, well, uh, let me just go a little further. So common symptoms with prolapse could be, as I said, I mentioned back pain can be one of them feeling a sense of heaviness or fullness in your vagina feeling like there's something in there, feeling like uh, some people may feel or see a bulge right at the entrance to the vagina, difficulty uh, like emptying the bladder or the rectum. Constipation can be a, uh, a sign of, of something like a, of a prolapse. Uh, difficulty inserting a tampon or tampons get pushed out maybe discomfort with sex or feeling like something like if you have a male partner, they feel like they're hitting something when they're penetrating. Um, those would be the most common ones. And, uh, and again, early stage can sometimes be asymptomatic. So getting screened for it regularly is, is in my opinion, a, a really important thing to do and we benefit from, and then we are in a position of power to be able to potentially like definitely prevent it from getting worse, if not get rid of it completely. Okay. And I know, so I'll share my personal story that, you know, for a long time, I, I wouldn't talk about, I was super embarrassed about it, but it was literally the, the one thing that I finally just like got brave and said this to my gynecologist who had done my hysterectomy. I was seeing a specialist at the time. He was a special gynecologist. He only dealt with like the most, um, severe cases that other gynecologists didn't want to deal with. And my gynecologist passed me off because she was just like, I can't help you. (laughs) I don't know what to do. So thankfully she owned that and was like, I need to send you to somebody who's a little bit more specialized with this because her, um, practice was more OB, you know, it was really just dealing with a pregnancy. Um, so when I saw him and after my hysterectomy, I was dealing with a ton of constipation issues. Like I normally did after every single uh, surgery, my constipation was always worse, worse than normal, but I'd struggled with constipation on and off my entire life. It was just something that I deemed as this is normal for my body. This is just how my body is because it'd been like that for so long. Um, but during that recovery, my constipation was getting so bad that the pain was excruciating through my, my healing journey at times. Um, the cramping would get really, really bad. They sent me to, I think I had two MRIs at the time just to ensure that something else wasn't happening, that I wasn't, you know, having, you know, something going on internally from the surgery itself. And each time they just kept finding that it was a ton of stool that had been in my colon and it was just pushing on all the scar tissue and my, um, my vaginal cuff, which for those of you that don't know what a vaginal cuff is, that's when you have, there's all sorts of different types of hysterectomies you can have, but I had my cervix removed uh, along with my uterus and my fallopian tubes and my left ovary or yeah, my left ovary. So the only ovary I have is my right and that's it. So the vaginal cuff is that area, uh, where they have basically sewn off the top of the vagina from where the cervix would be. And so my colon was just pressing on top of this area, causing lots of lots of pain. Um, so my recovery was a little longer than I think for most hysterectomy recoveries can be slow anyways, but mine was definitely very slow due to this. 
Um, and so I was having to sometimes drink, um, basically what they would give for a colon prep. So if you've ever had a colon prep, you know what this is like, it's not fun. And I'm having to do this on top of already feeling so backed up and so sick and healing from surgery. So I was just miserable. And I think it was probably about, oh, I don't even know how far into my recovery. I'm really trying to think, I think this might've even been a year later. Cause yeah, cause that's when he sent me to the colorectal. It was like a year later where I'm still complaining to him and going in, like, I am still in pain. It's still a lot of bloating, like what's going on. And I finally just said, you know, I splint a lot when I go to the bathroom. And if you don't know what splinting means, it basically means that I was having to insert fingers in through my vaginal canal to kind of help push and brace the stool to help kind of like further get it, my colon to my uh, rectum to empty, because I would feel just so there was so much pressure there. It was just this natural urge. It's the only thing I can explain it that I would just push down there and add extra splinting. And, you know, the minute I said that, he was just kind of like, were you doing this before? Like he started asking me all these questions and I was like, yeah, I, I splinted before. And I was so embarrassed. I was like, oh my God, I don't want to be talking about this. This is so gross. Like, you know, even now as I'm, I'm like, oh, right. Um, but the minute I said that, that's when he was like, I need to send you to a colorectal surgeon. Um, because that's when I knew like, that's not a normal thing. And that is a sign that something was going on and that my rectum was falling over and I was literally having to push it back into place. Um, the problem now, even since having my rectocil, my body is just, they basically told me they think that the nerves and everything, it's just, my body's now just conditioned that sometimes it always needs that extra assistance. It Mm -hmm. just, it cannot seem to empty on its own like at all. So that's something I want to share because I feel like it's something that it's one that most women are definitely not going to say at all. Like my sister, when I told her, my sister's like, how are you doing that? And not like she started, (laughs) I mean, I know she was saying it in love, but I was like, don't shame me about it. I already feel bad enough. Like, it's like my secret shame. I think that's even how I told the doctor. I was like, okay, here's my secret shame. This is what I'm doing. Um, but I feel like these are the things that women need to just kind of like hear so that they know like, oh, this might not be normal for me. And I need to say something, or this is a sign. It's a red flag. Yeah. Yeah. And what you did was a normal coping strategy. And a lot of people who are managing a rectocele, it is a way to help with bowel movements. Um, you, you know, inserting a finger or a thumb, or you could even use a tampon and put that in to help push. There's, there's lots of ways. So it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, it was very intuitive for you to do. And a lot of people come to it intuitively to, to help them with it. And so if it's happening to you and you have never seen a pelvic floor physio, I highly recommend that you go get it checked out. And it may be something that on an ongoing basis you use as a strategy. It's not, uh, it's not, it's, we shouldn't have to, however, if mm-hmm. we have, uh, something in our anatomy that has changed that we might need that assistance and, um, and, and good for you for sharing. It's, it's very, it, it's more common than you think, but as you say, it's not a lot of people talking about poop stuff and, yeah. and splinting and, you know, counter pressure on your perineum and all that kind of stuff. It's uh, it's, but it needs to be, it needs to be shared. Well, yeah. And I think it's, it's because you're talking about how, you know, us as in children growing up, there's a lot of things that we aren't, they just don't talk about, or things are hush hush, or it's these icky things that you don't want to hear about, or they, they talk about it in this way that makes it very squirmish and uncomfortable. And even heading into pregnancy, you know, there's so many things that women just don't share and talk about. And I think that that's the one really beautiful thing about social media these days is that you can find other people that are willing to share their lived experience and being very raw and vulnerable in it. And I think that that's what, it's what's prompted me to be as raw and vulnerable as I possibly can in my story because of how many women. Yeah. And I get it. They're just, they're, they're scared to say anything or they don't want people to judge them or think they're gross or think there's something wrong with them or that their doctor would look at them and think they're gross. Um, especially if you've been dealing with a doctor who up until that point maybe hasn't really been supporting you 
um, you're just not going to tell them like, well, I'm definitely not going to tell them I'm doing that. Like (laughs) they're going to think I'm a gross person, you know? And so these are the things that need to be said. Um, but even with that, so you were talking about Kegel exercises. And I think that that's something that a lot of women, they think, I think that's great that you're like, we want to talk about it. So people are doing it properly and they understand, um, Kegels. And it was when I went and saw my pelvic floor, um, and the exam that they did, that was the interesting thing for me was that they actually had told me that I was over clenching yeah. all the time. Like even right now I notice, and I have to literally relax yeah. everything that I'm a constantly in a contracted state. Yeah. Um, and so that I would not have known if I hadn't have gone. Yeah. So when it comes to like that, even with Kegels, like being able to know what your body is doing and how to decide, like, is there different ways for different people of how they're going to be doing it? Or is there like, I'm yeah. really interested in this. <laughs> yeah. They, so you're, you're, it's very common actually for people to, um, to be clenching to, and, and especially, so it could be that that was a strategy that you've always had that contributed to constipation could be that the constipation and the pain as a result contributed to like, you'll never necessarily be able to go back and say, Oh, that's because, mm-hmm. but for some reason, something along the way has contributed to that being a, a default for you. And it's very common. It can be from trauma. It can be from embarrassment. It can be from constipation. It can be from falls on the tailbone. It could be from previous surgeries. Like so many things could contribute to those muscles being guarding or, or holding on to more tension and not relaxing. And so a Kegel, the, the actual exercise itself is a contract and a lift and a let go. But what people interpret a Kegel as is a squeeze and mm. I'm just going to squeeze and hold. And that's what I have to do. And so if somebody already has more tension and they then interpret a Kegel as just a squeeze and they add more tension, they can exacerbate their situation. So another reason why pelvic floor physio is so important because they can evaluate what your default, what are your, what are your muscles like to do? What's their, where's their place of hanging out? And, uh, and then we just teach them to do something a little different so that we have more balance. It's like, uh, you know, going to the gym and only doing like it's famous for people to say the beach workout where you do your, your chest and your buys, but you forget your legs. Right. So you see lots of these (laughs) people walking around with big upper bodies, but their legs are really tiny. And so we need more balance and we need to, if we're going to lift weights, we also need to do some lengthening and some stretching. The pelvic floor is exactly the same. It's a group of muscles and it benefits from a range of motion. And sometimes we need to focus more on lengthening. Sometimes we need to focus more on that closure. Sometimes we need to focus more on the lift and practicing that range of motion can be helpful with different visualizations and cues. And, and then my philosophy with Kegels is it's good to do maybe a set or two a day where we just say, lie down on our back or sit in a chair and do them. But then when we, when we bring it into movement, we train the pelvic floor dynamically and that's where the magic really starts to happen. And we start to be, we start to have a more functional, um, a functional pelvic floor, I guess is what I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Kegels are not a quick fix. It is a lifestyle. It's one piece of the puzzle, physio, pelvic floor, fitness, diet, um, mental health, like stress, reducing stress in our lives is really important. Stress can contribute to overactivity in the muscles, uh, that can contribute also to constipation. <laughs> you know, so there, it's a, it's a whole, it's a whole body approach. Kegels and pelvic floor is one piece of, sorry, Kegels and pelvic floor physio are one piece of our overall pelvic health, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Um, I I'm loving all of this. And I think like, obviously I want everybody to be able to come and like learn from you more and check out everything that you have to offer. So can you kind of just like share a little bit of like how people can be working with you, what you have going right now so that people can, you know, if they're needing this extra support right now, or know somebody that could use this extra support, like how can they connect with you? Yeah. I always say every vagina needs a coach. So if you have (laughs) vagina owners and women in your life, they would all benefit from learning some more. I wrote a book called your pelvic floor 
and that launched in March of last year. And I think that that's a, a good introduction to what the pelvic floor is, how we can manage it throughout the life stages, some of the more common symptoms, how we can address things. And so you can get those that's on Amazon anywhere. And, and then once you're done, pass it forward to a friend to read as well. Um, so that's one place vaginacoach.com is my website and my programs are all listed there. So I have self-directed programs for people to go through where they learn through educational videos and they're given workouts and exercises to, to do. And, uh, the most recent one that I'm working on is of course, it's called pelvic surgery success. And this is the one that I had interviewed you for. Mm-hmm. And it is in a beta version right now. So the beta version is, um, it's not the complete product. It's I'm, I'm still searching for feedback from people and the, the final version will launch in January, but the beta version is, is discounted and you'll get the beta version. Plus you get access to the final version. So if anybody's interested or thinking about going through surgery, it's a, a good resource. I recognize that like I went through pelvic surgery. I know you have and me being somebody very informed and very supported and knew what to ask and what to do. I did things differently than what maybe my doctor would have recommended. I knew what questions to ask. And I know that that's not the norm at all. I always hear from people. I had no idea what to ask. I was just, I was, that was the only option given to me. And so I want people to be informed again, so they can make the best choice for their body, whether that is to go ahead and have surgery or here's all the conservative approaches that can help you not have surgery. But if you choose it, then here's how we want to get your body in the best shape as possible. Here's how we can support. You can support yourself through recovery. Here's how you return to exercise and fitness. Here's what you're going to be doing on an ongoing basis to increase the longevity and likelihood of the, like that, that surgery lasts for as long as possible. Um, and then I'm also launching an app. It'll be called the buff muff app. And that launches (laughs) in November. And, uh, (laughs) Yeah, it'll, it, again, we all, we all have stuff at the palm of our hand now and that's where we want our information. And so if we have something that's reminding us each day to check in, then, um, I, it'll be workouts. It'll be education. It'll be guest expert interviews. Nutrition will play a role. There'll be a bunch of free content. It's free to download. And then if people choose and they want more, then there's a paid version that they can go to as well. This is amazing. Well, I'm going to go ahead and and put all of this information in the show notes so you guys can follow her, go check her out. And I mean, now you guys see obviously why I wanted her on the show so badly. (laughs) This was just super informative and so helpful. And I know it's going to really support a lot of vaginas that are listening (laughs) right now. Um, So thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your wealth of knowledge. It was so appreciated. Likewise. Um, I really, you know, I appreciate you sharing your story with me and my community and being a part of my program, because that will help so many other people hearing from, from you and also for having me in your community. So thank you. You're so welcome. And as always, you guys, if this show was beneficial to you, please, by all means, share it with your girlfriend, share it with all the other vaginas that, you know, because <laughs> this is a big one that everybody needs to, to hear about. So I love you guys. And I look forward to hearing your takeaways from this show.